Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. I think he will now be the go-to goalkeeper for any elite club in Europe who wants a, wants a new one, basically. I think a lot of people will be uh, putting a lot of faith in Darwin Nunez for Liverpool in the second half of the season. The spotlight's going to be on him, regardless, as it always is, and it's going to be interesting to see if he can sort of force his way back into being sort of one of the first-choice picks for United when Martinez and Varane are back. And Ketia has... Whilst he's performed in the Europa League, he's never really done it in the Premier League. But it wouldn't surprise me if this was his time to, to finally prove himself as being a legitimate option up front for Arsenal going forward. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365, Steve Freeth and the Athletic's Dan Barnes. Coming up, we're going to get stuck into the return of the Premier League as leaders Arsenal restart with a visit from West Ham. Liverpool travel to Unai Emery's Aston Villa, plus Manchester United begin life without Cristiano Ronaldo against Nottingham Forest. That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. But before we do get back into the Premier League, what about that World Cup? I think... I was a bit anti the World Cup before it started, purely on a, on a football basis. I won't get into all the other stuff, but from a football basis, because of when it was, I really wasn't looking forward to this World Cup at all. But I tell you what, when it started and when it got going, George, the football was incredible. It was one of the best World Cups ever, in my opinion, from a football standpoint. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. In my view, even the games that were low scoring in the group stages were still brilliant watches. There were very few games that were kind of devoid of quality. And... You know, when we've got in the Euros this ridiculous system now where some third place teams go through in the World Cup, you see how important it is to keep the, the, the method that we have at the moment where there were no, there were barely any dead rubbers throughout the whole group stages. It was unbelievable drama throughout. And then, of course, the knockout stages provided as well. Disappointing that um, England couldn't go further, of course. I don't think we'll get into that now, the reasons for it and, and whatever. But as a spectacle, it was brilliant. The, the only concern I have now, I mean, there's no denying how good the World Cup was. What's going to happen now with the, with the rest of the football? You know, I obviously cover the EFL a lot. It's been quite strange to see suddenly Harry Souter going from trying to tame France to, to trying to tame championship defences. Um, seeing Conor Roberts getting sent off for failing to, to handball the, the, the ball off the line for, for Burnley last weekend when we last saw him playing against England to get for, for Wales. You know, it's, it's kind of strange to see and whether or not Alexis McAllister and uh, Emmy Martinez can get up for playing for Brighton and Aston Villa in the next couple of weeks having won a World Cup. You know, you couldn't begrudge them the thought that they might want a bit of a break to celebrate in it. So we'll see what the product's going to be like going forward. But I totally agree. The festival of football couldn't have been more enjoyable. Yeah, and Dan, I mean, it's back to the Premier League now, the bread and butter. But because the World Cup has ended quite recently... We don't know whether some players are going to be available for Premier League teams. Boxing Day is like a big day on the fixture list for football fans, but some of the players might not be there. Absolutely. It feels like 
Boxing Day always feels like that kind of uh, time of year where there's a lot of lot of surprises in team selection and things like that. And with the amount of players who've gone far in the in the World Cup, you just feel like there might be even more sort of uncertainty when when teams uh, when t- teams return on Boxing Day and beyond. You know, those uh, those team sheets are going to look awful strange, and there's going to be an awful lot of. Uh, uh, unknown academy players on benches, I feel as well. But yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see what the what the impact is. I mean, you could kind of argue that potentially with the Winter World Cup, there were a lot of players who were in form and perhaps sort of in a, in sort of a good level of fitness. But you know, when we sort of start to get to sort of March, April in domestic football, you do wonder if you're going to we're going to see you know a lot of hamstring injuries across the board, and it'd be very interesting to see sort of what this uh, what the World Cup kind of tangible impact is on uh, on well title races relegation battles playoff battles and everything else and Steve you're you're a football purist I know usually the Christmas period very busy with games coming thick and fast in quite tightly but I suppose the one thing of coming back after the World Cup is the Christmas period isn't quite as congested as it normally is yes yeah and, and I think it's good Dan that we've had the World normally with World Cups you have like ages to wait for games as well don't you like it's um, the summer break pre-season months without football, and all of a sudden we're straight back into it, even though we don't really know what's going on. Well, I, I certainly don't. I had to look back at the results from from the previous games just to get up to, up to speed, really. So I want to see how players come back, you know, teams, how they come back, teams that would have been winning games before the break. Can they carry on their good form? Teams that weren't in good form before, can they hit the ground running now? Players coming back from the World Cup, how will they cope with it all? injured players they'll be back as well there's there's so many things that we just don't know what's going to happen and it's great for a bookmaker so personally I just can't wait yeah and the first game we've got as football returns the Premier League returns is Brentford against Tottenham on Boxing Day which is a 12.30pm kickoff. Dan as an athletic worker I'm going to come to you first it wouldn't be Antonio Conte without some speculation on his future and Jack Pitbrook has put a piece on The Athletic and he says the club are less optimistic of agreeing a new deal with Antonio Conte now. Usually when he leaves after a few years, he's had a little bit of a success, maybe he's won a title, maybe he's won a trophy. This would be a weird one if he left Tottenham and his biggest success was getting them in the top four. It seems a little strange to me, it doesn't seem the usual, even though him leaving after two years does feel normal. Absolutely, yes, yeah, a bit of a kind of... You know, well, it feels like everything isn't right with the world if Antonio Conte's future isn't certain. It's a strange situation, really. I mean, I think it just kind of amplifies the magnitude of the challenge that he faces at Tottenham and why it was such a such a different challenge to to, to clubs that he's been at before. You know, his, his time at Juventus, uh, Inter, Chelsea, you know, he was highly successful at all of them. You know, quite successful as Italy manager as well, of course. And he always had the resources available. This was kind of that different challenge where you feel that, Conte had to kind of build something, you know, he wasn't taking over one of the sort of definitive strongest teams in the league, you know, it's, there's still a gap between Tottenham and, you know, the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool um, and Arsenal, obviously with the, with the form they've shown this year. Um, so yeah, it, it does feel like potentially, you know, it, maybe it's a situation where the, the pinch points and any kind of gripes that you might have become a bit more, bit more pronounced maybe. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's going to be a fascinating situation. You know, there's no, there's no doubting that he's got a hell of a lot of talent at his squad, uh, at his disposal. Um, you know, we wouldn't expect Tottenham to have, for example, Ivan Perisic, or Christian Romero back for a little while, but you know, alongside the kind of stand, you know, the sort of recognisable names like names like Kane and and Son, um, you know, a player like Romero, for example, who we saw be absolutely outstanding for Argentina during the World Cup. You know, this is genuine quality um, that Tottenham have, and he has been backed uh, financially to you know to sign players like that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, 
really interesting. I mean, I think from if if Tottenham were to sort of put a run of form together, obviously this speculation would probably quieten down for a little bit. So I think there's plenty for Spurs fans to hopefully be optimistic about. I mean, I think the potential return of uh, Dejan Kulusevski is going to be huge for them, yeah. really. Um, he's been missing for a long time. And, you know, we've seen him scoring goals and assisting goals in pre-season friendlies. Like his impact in those six months last year was incredible. So, you know, he's going to be a major sort of boost for them, particularly with Son not being in great form thus far this season. So, so yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's not, that situation isn't going to go away though. Obviously I feel like, you know, good, good results for Tottenham are obviously just going to, going to mask it. So yeah, that's, that's going to be sort of a potentially volatile one to, for, for everyone to really keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, George, Dan talks about Kulusevski there. He's arguably Spurs' most important player under Conte, just from the point of he, he is that creator that, that they have behind the behind the striker. He, he can make things happen. He becomes even more important now because Richarlison's injured. Kulusevski started the season on, on absolute fire, got off to a flying start. They really missed him when, when he was injured. With the players missing that they could have this weekend, Perisic, Lloris and, and Romero, Kulusevski kind of comes to the fore even more and becomes even more vital. Yeah, he does. I mean, it's always important, I think, to temper um, expectations on players. Uh, often when a player is, is injured and the team goes through a bad run, you can kind of overstate how important they are. But I don't think that's necessarily the case with him because he is such a different uh, option to what they already have in terms of the creative spark he can provide. And I think he also enables Harry Kane to uh, play as, as more of an out-and-out striker when he doesn't have to drop his deep in order to create as well. So... Uh, Things weren't looking particularly great for Spurs when when they went into the break. I think often these rumours about Conte do seem to emerge when things aren't going too well. Uh, as you say, I think if you know if they win here and they go on a run, those rumours will probably begin to go, and we won't even hear about a new contract. So important for them to treat this fresh start as exactly that and, and start building their way back towards. Um, you know, the, the the form we saw, at least, although the performances weren't great at the beginning of the season. George mentions that drop-off in form before the break, Steve, and at this point, we don't know what the impact of that's going to be, teams coming back, how teams are going to react if they were on bad form going into the World Cup. But Brentford's a difficult place to go. It's, it's, it's a ground where a lot of the big six have, have tripped up in the past. It's not an ideal first game back, especially as I feel like Brentford didn't have too many away at the World Cup. Yeah, we've seen that with Arsenal. They've struggled there before, um, of course. Yeah. How's Harry Kane going to react as well to to coming back? I mean, Spurs are still in fourth position in the in, in the top four odds at eleven to ten. Look, you know, the first two look away and gone: Manchester City and Arsenal. Um, and Spurs are eleven to ten, as I say, to uh, to finish in there. The five to one to win a trophy. Uh, Kulusevski obviously coming back is great. Lloris, I don't think, had a great season for Spurs. The fact that he's he's he's, he's on minus, I think, minus three as goals prevented. Um, but I think I think the big talking point for me is Harry Kane. He's, I know he got 12 goals already uh, in the Premier League. The last time he got 12 at this stage, he managed to get 30. So we're five to one for him to get 30 goals uh, this season, and we're 10 to 11 for him to actually break Alan Shearer's record of um, was it 260 that he got. So he's I think he's 195 now. Kane's got so he's odds on to, to do that. And Spurs, by the way, are 16 to one to miss a penalty against Brentford. Clearly. As a neutral, I don't want uh, Harry Kane to miss a penalty. Should he play against Brentford? But Spurs do have some tricky games coming up. I think in in the like three weeks over January and 
February, I think at Manchester City twice and Arsenal as well. So it's it's a tough test. But currently, we think they are capable of finishing in the top four. But I'd imagine that Brentford will be rubbing their hands at having a crack at Spurs at this stage of the season. Yeah, and Dan, we mentioned not knowing the impact of the break for teams coming back. The World Cup couldn't have really come at a worse time for Brentford. It's easy to forget they went to Manchester City and won 2-1 last time out. But we just don't know if that momentum's going to, going to continue. But it was a fantastic performance by Brentford that day. I watched that game and, and thought they played really, really well. Obviously, really tough to go to Manchester City and win. I thought they handled the occasion and Manchester City really, really well. Another big game now against Spurs. And it is the kind of game that, that, that they do usually turn up for. Yeah, it's such a, it feels like such a long time ago, that sort of win at the Etihad Stadium, because it was such a long time ago. Um, I think it, you know, it took, took everyone by surprise, but they... They absolutely sort of deserved it on the day, really. The way in which they held off Manchester City away from home, that would have just given them such confidence. And as you say, Dan, you know, they would have, would have hated, and Thomas Frank would have hated the fact that they had to, uh, had to have a break at this stage of the season. I mean, with the sort of potentially any kind of lack of momentum that they may have suffered over the Christmas break, I mean, I, I think they, they couldn't have asked for sort of a better fixture to start with. It's, 12.30, the first game, game on Boxing Day. You know, they'll expect a big crowd and they welcome a big team to uh, to the Brentford Community Stadium. It's going to be, you know, you, you, it, by all, all accounts, it looks like a very, very tough game for Tottenham. But from a Brentford perspective, it looks like a, a very good opportunity for them to sort of pick back up where they left off really as well. Um, you know, they're going to be, yeah, they didn't have too many players go to the World Cup or get many minutes either. So they should hopefully be fresh and ready to go. So yeah, I think I think everyone from a sort of, Red and white stripe persuasion will be uh, be excited for this one. Ivan Tony, of course, was the hero last time out, but his roller coaster of a season continues. The FA have confirmed the Brentford striker has been charged with misconduct in relation to thirty additional alleged betting breaches. Tony was originally charged for allegedly breaching the FA's betting rules on two hundred and thirty-two occasions, which was said to have occurred between February twenty seventeen and January twenty twenty-one. These thirty additional charges relate to alleged breaches between March twenty seventeen to February 2019. Ivan Tony has until Wednesday the 4th of January to respond to those charges, George. Obviously, at this point, we don't know what's going to happen, but any absence of Ivan Tony would be crucial to Brentford. He's, he's not only their focal point and their main goal scorer, he's also one of their main creators. And he is their talisman. He, he would be a huge miss if he was to miss any games off the back of this. Yeah, it's been a, a roller coaster few weeks for, for Ivan Tony. You know, the aforementioned Man City game being left out of the England squad. And, and then, of course, this now. And, and as you say, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, at this stage, there doesn't seem to be any suggestion as to whether or not this will result in a ban or not. But it's kind of strange for, for a club that is so often held up as being so, um, you know, having such a head start in terms of recruitment and squad building because Ivan Tony is so important to them and because his fitness record is so good, they don't really have anyone waiting in the wings who can step in and play his role. You know, Johan Visa is probably the closest thing to it. He's not necessarily an out-and-out striker. You've got Brennan Bomo who could probably play through the middle if needed. I mean, Sam and Godos can play there, but he's played at right wing-back for the most part when he's played this season. And Keen Lewis Potter probably could again, but he's more of a, a wide forward who is yet to really make his mark at Brentford. So, it's kind of hard in my mind to think of a player who is harder to replace for their team than Ivan Tony. I mean, maybe Haaland at City, like that is the kind of level we're talking about here where everything goes through him. He is their most important player. He's their goal scorer. He is their talisman, as you say. And there isn't really a, a, an understudy. You know, eight days short of January, I'm sure there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes to find someone who can come in and, and, and play that role if, uh, if he does miss any of the season. That's a massive shout, George, but I think you might be correct in that. I can't think of another player who's more important to a, to a single team. 
Haaland, obviously, you know, Man City have got Alvarez, who looked pretty handy in, in, in the World Cup if he's missing for any period of time. Ivan Tony might be the most important player to one club that there is in the Premier League. Can Steve, Dan, can you, can you think of anyone else? Any other contenders? Kane at Spurs, but I suppose... Even now, I feel like they've got Richarlison when he's fit, who, who can come in. They've got another mm. option. I feel like Tony is the man. I was nodding in agreement with what George said. I'd, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Brentford will be praying that Ivan Tony isn't missing for any period of time because, as we've discussed, he is so, so important. is winding down for Christmas the Athletics Club podcast are firing back up over the festive period to celebrate the return of domestic football catch talk of the Devils handbrake off the Phil Hay show and all your favourite club shows now that that World Cup nonsense is behind us all are free to listen to of course on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. The next game we're going to look at is Aston Villa against Liverpool, which is a 5.30 kickoff on Boxing Day. And Villa have been busy in the break playing four friendlies, which included a 1-0 win over Chelsea. What are the early signs of Emery's side, Steve? Oh, I'll tell you what, Dan, not only have you won the European Cup, but you've also won the World Cup as well now with Martinez. Hey, hey it's all happening down at the Villa. Oh, we're going to be the last of this now, the website full if, of it. If West Ham can have 1966, <laughs> we, we, we can have 2022. Hold on, hold on. Surely that's Oxford's World Cup, isn't it? We gave exactly, them each chance. Exactly, yeah, George. Professional debut. Yeah. You tell them, pal. Yeah. You tell them. Con- conceded three in Burslem. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I think exciting times, Dan, I think, for the Villa, isn't it? He's, he's, he's changed quite a lot in a short space of time. You managed to get five goals from 14 shots. So I'm not sure that would be able to uh, continue. But the way you've, as, as and for a new manager to win three on the bounce, I don't think that's ever happened before uh, down at the Villa. So I think times are exciting uh, for Villa, I think, going forward. Uh, John McGinn as well. I think we're going to see a bit more of, of John McGinn, I think. Um, his old self, I think, he, he might flourish under, under Emery as well. And uh, I think onwards and upwards, obviously, it's a tough game for you boys at the weekend. But I think, yeah, some, some real positive signs under Emery. We knew what it was going to be like from, any, I mentioned before, speaking to people in Spain, how just intense he is in his, uh, in his sessions and his video sessions especially are, are, were massively intense. And, the, and I've been reading some reports of it's just been exactly that. Clearly, Villa are going to be on the up from where they were under Steven Gerrard. Yeah, it's like when you're a kid, George, and you go from playing with Plymouth and you move up to Lego. That's what Villa have done with, with, with Gerard to Emre. It's the step, the step up is just absolutely huge. I, I couldn't tell you what formation Villa were playing in, in the last game against Brighton. I, I was at that game. It looks like a 4-4-2 out of possession, but in possession, people pop up all over the place. And it's just exciting to watch. And it's, it's exciting for me to see a Villa team that's drilled and look like they've worked on the training ground in the week. Emre is actually a real coup for Villa. I agree. I mean, the concern would be, I suppose, at the weekend against Liverpool, uh, will Olsen be in goal, I take it, the weekend? And then... That, that would be a massive concern. Yeah, he didn't cover... He's, I think he's conceded 11 in two and a half, two and a half games, Olsen, in, in, since, he, since he's come in at Villa. So, obviously, a huge drop down from, from Emi Martinez. 
Dan, do you think do you think Emmy Martinez might play? I don't know whether obviously you're. You, I think you're at Athletic HQ today. From what I can see, is there any any murmurs on Emmy Martinez? Maybe, maybe he might play on Boxing Day because I feel like if you won the World Cup, you're absolutely buzzing. You just want to carry on playing and coming into a big game playing against Liverpool at Villa Park. Surely you want to play in that. Well, you know, he was, he was obviously last spotted um, in Buenos Aires um, during the sort of uh, the kind of crazy celebrations that that, that took place. And um, well, to to be honest, on a bit of a sort of sad note, you know, he was he, he was kind of seen sort of holding the uh, holding a doll with Mbappe's face on, um, sort of glued onto it, which was uh, mm. you know actually with you know some of the some of the scenes and the and kind of some of the um, some of the things that we saw uh, with the Argentina fans were directing towards Mbappe and effigies of Mbappe were. We're a little bit on the dark side, really. So those um, those kind of celebrations took a mm. took a took a bit of a dark turn. Um, and Martinez was obviously, you know, definitely uh, culpable in, in whipping some of that up. But but yeah, I mean, I'm sure Aston Villa fans would love to have him back. I mean, it feels like, you know, aside from sort of Argentina being all about Lionel Messi, and you know, there's been some players that had incredible tournaments in that in that run, like Enzo Fernandez, uh, Julian Alvarez, other players, Alexis McAllister, but Martinez. I mean, if he hasn't established himself as an Argentina folk hero already, then he he definitely has done now. I mean, his, you know, the, the fact that he sort of plays on the edge and with these kind of, um, isn't sort of, uh, isn't scared at all to sort of bring out the dark arts and try and intimidate other players. I mean, he is, yeah, I'm sure Emi Martinez will get an absolutely sort of rapturous uh, return when he does come back to Villa Park. Um, whether that's going to be for the Liverpool game, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, you probably wouldn't expect so, but yeah, he is going to be, yeah, he's going to be huge for them, of course. And obviously, you know, you do wonder with the sort of boost in in profile that he's got from this, you know, how much longer will he be an Aston Villa player? No, Dan, not what not what I wanted you to say. <laughs> not what I wanted you to say at all. But it, but it is a worry that a worry that George, you've got you've got to be honest, it, it is a is a concern because Emmy Martinez was very unhappy that that Neil Cutler, the goalkeeping coach, left the club. When you get a taste of winning these big trophies, you want it to continue. And with all due respect to my own club, the likelihood of him winning a trophy at Villa is obviously quite slim as it goes at the moment. He'll probably want to test himself at Champions League. The only thing is with the goalkeeper market. It takes a domino effect. It takes someone to sell a goalkeeper to bring a goalkeeper in. But I actually think a few Premier League teams might be looking at goalkeepers in the summer. We think of Manchester United, perhaps Chelsea, perhaps Tottenham, perhaps Martinez. Now the, the stock rising could have come at the worst time for Villa. Yeah, I think he will now be the go-to goalkeeper for any elite club in Europe who wants to want a new one, basically. But the good thing for Villa is that you are in a position where you don't need the money. Um, you, you know, he's got a long-term contract, and I'm sure you will be making teams pay to, to sign him. You know, I, I read in a, an interview with the new sporting director at West Ham, Mark Noble, this week, where he just said, you know, the thing is with Declan Rice, when a elite club actually wants him, they will just pay for him and they'll get him. And it's the same with Martinez. You will set a price, it'll be incredibly high and you'll get good money for him. But when someone wants him, they're just going to go out and they're going to pay the money. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think he'll be a Villa player for long. I'm sure he will continue to you know, be a massive asset to Villa in the meantime. In the meantime. Dan, how much are you going to get for him? He's got a long contract. He only signed a contract a year ago. So I think he's got four or five years left left on his contract. I think Villa would look for probably around what Chelsea played for Kepper, I would imagine. I'm not saying they're going to get it, but that that, that would be obviously what, what they would probably look for. So it's a difficult one. And I think obviously, you know, we, we've spoken about potentially Martinez leaving, but for the time being, why, why would he not want to play under Unai Emery? I mean, I think Aston Villa have made a huge, huge, huge upgrade in terms of head coach. Um, they've, you know, they've hired somebody with 
incredible pedigree. Um, someone I actually think is probably a little bit disrespected in this country, mostly because, you know, mm. for, for, for one of a word, you know, a lot of people made fun of Unai Emery for the way that he was polite to journalists and his pronunciation of <laughs> pronunciation of a phrase, good evening in another language, you know, disrespecting, you know, the fact that he's won umpteen uh, Europa League trophies and been Paris Saint-Germain manager. But yeah, why, why would Martinez not want to be a part of that for, for the time being, at least, you know? I mean, I feel like, Aston Villa have a lot of a lot of talent at their disposal, and if Unai Emery can bring a lot of structure and bring sort of you know a different approach to them, you know they're the only way is probably up for Villa right now. Dan, he's nearly got the same name. Isn't he's nearly got the same name as you when he talks the same as you about Villa? I don't like him <laughs> one little bit. <laughs> no, he can come on again. Well, he's welcome on the show anytime. But yeah, Villa will be active in January as well. Villa will heavily back Unai Emery in January, like they did Steven Gerrard 12 months ago when he was allowed to bring in Coutinho and Luca Dean. Villa will get a couple of big hitters in, in January in the, in the forward position. So it's going to be exciting times for Villa fans. Let's look at their opponents, though. Liverpool, not really any good news for them with regards to injuries at the moment. Diaz is now out till March, having undergone surgery. And Jota is no closer to a return. The good news is, though, Steve, that Salah should be fresh. Yeah, cast your mind back to the start of the season. I think we were questioning Salah. I know he set such high standards, but he signed off with 99, I think. I think if we, we, we saw him more centrally. 39 shots in the box, 14 big chances he's had uh, in the Premier League. I think the biggest thing of all that I'm looking forward to seeing back is Darwin Nunez. Our, our, he's... His his stats wise for Liverpool are, are just absolutely in, incredible, he be really. Fresh too. So, um, yeah, that was my money on Uruguay, George. <laughs> so that's why it was it, it just <laughs> it went awry. I was expecting big things from them, but you know his numbers are quite scary. And I think we'll be playing more off the left, won't he, for Liverpool? I think on on the return back, but he can look absolutely world class one minute and look Sunday morning the next. But he's 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 still raw. He's still bundles of ability and I think a lot of people will be uh, putting a lot of faith in Darwin Nunez for Liverpool in the second half of the season Dan I guess at this stage of the season if Liverpool had been seven points off the title race we probably would have been su- surprised but to be seven points off fourth it's a long way back I know, I know there's a, a fair way to go in the season but there is ground to make up for Liverpool and they need to do it pretty quick they do, they do. Although I do feel that, you know, it's it's a weird one with Liverpool because obviously the drop-off has been so severe this season from when they've gone from being sort of imperious in the last few seasons. But you do feel that when you look at what that squad and what that team and what that manager has, uh, has achieved previously, it just it, you, you are just kind of waiting for that moment where it all clicks together and they all sort of click into gear and really do sort of become quite a sort of like, I don't know, a fearsome sort of hunter, really. We spoke about sort of the, some of the injuries just a moment ago, but, and obviously I feel that Luis Diaz missing is is a huge thing because that's, with Sadio Mane moving on, you know, he was kind of just sort of the heir apparent to one of their flanks and was so yeah. sort of integral to them playing a different way. But I do feel that they have had a bit of a boost with the fact that I feel that some of those sort of central defensive injuries have cleared up. Um, Joel Matip has been playing in friendlies uh, and Ibrahima Kanate had quite a few quite good uh, performances in the World Cup. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans are very excited by the way he performed and having him back, I think will be a great, great boost for them. But you are right, of course, with what you say, Dan, you know, like there isn't much of a grace sort of grace period or a buffer for them. You know, they do need to start picking up results. Very little margin for error for Liverpool currently. Next, we're going to look at Arsenal against West Ham, which is an 8pm kickoff on Boxing Day. Now, it was a World Cup disaster for Arsenal as Gabriel Jesus suffered an injury that will keep him out for this one and maybe for some time. Steve, a real hammer blow to Arsenal, this one, just when things things are going really well, the top of the league, they're looking good. Jesus hasn't been banging in the goals, but he's been integral to the way that Arsenal press and the way Arteta operates and the way that they play. 
Eddie Nketiah signed a new contract in the summer. Arsenal like him, they like him a lot, but he isn't Gabriel Jesus. Huge loss, Dan. Yeah, I think you look at the goals column, you think, well, he's not really that huge loss, is he? But yeah, like you say, he brings so much more than just goals. It didn't shift the market a great deal from a betting point of view. So they were nine to four on the outright before that. So we just um, they've just gone out slightly to to five to two. I think some people might be surprised that there was a bit the prices hadn't shifted a little bit more than that. When we finished for the break, you know, Arsenal were obviously five points clear. Again, some people were surprised that Arsenal weren't favourites. Yeah, yeah, Manchester City still got a lot to do, you think, but we still think they're they're a two to five still in the box seat to win it, regardless of being five points behind Arsenal. And, and statistically, Arsenal are in a good position. 13 of the last 18 uh, sides who have been top at, at this time of the season have gone on to win the, the Premier League as well. Although Arsenal, I think, have failed in the last four times when they were top um, at, 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 at Christmas. But they're going well. Um, you, you've mentioned Nketiah has got a big step up. He's played more Europa games, hasn't he, I think, than, than league games as well. I, I presume, Dan, that they'll be uh, pr- pretty busy in January. Yeah, he took on that number 14 shirt as well, didn't he, in, in, in the summer? Could be a real burden to some, but a real sign of that he believes in himself and he backs himself taking that famous number 14 shirt. But George, like Steve says, you'd expect them to bring in a forward player in January. Now, that they have to in the position they're in. They'll never get a better chance of of winning the Premier League. They have to be active in January in covering that gap that Jesus will leave. Yeah, it, it, it's quite a difficult position for them to be in where you are right. If, if they go forward from here, don't recruit the player that to replace Jesus if he's going to be out for a while and they don't win the title, then fans will always look back at this window as being a missed opportunity. Having said that, January is not a particularly easy time to recruit. It's also not an easy time to recruit when the whole of the footballing world know your desperation. You know, as soon as Arsenal pick up the phone to make an approach for any striker, though that team is going to know not only are you in an incredible position here to win your first title in however many years, but you also don't have a striker currently apart from Eddie Nketiah. And there is going to be a levy put on probably any transfer fee, both for January and for that as well. So it's not easy. You know, as fans, we often say like, well, why didn't we bring in that player? Why didn't we bring a player in here? Well, you've got to bring in the right player. You can't be desperate enough just to go out and spend money because you need a body. And Arsenal have to get that balance right. I'm sure they will. The one thing to credit Mikel Arteta with this season, one of many things, is that they've had injuries already uh, in the campaign. And the players who've come in and, and stepped up in, 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 the, in, in that time have all performed incredibly well. You know, we, we spoke about Reese Nelson when he came in from the cold and, and, and scored the two goals. You know, Arteta seems to have galvanised his squad to a degree where players are able to come back in. And Ketia has, whilst he's performed in the Europa League, he's never really done it in the Premier League. But it wouldn't surprise me if this was his time to to finally prove himself as being a legitimate option up front for Arsenal going forward. Now, we talked about Brentford not wanting the break to come. West Ham probably did. They'd lost four of their last five before that break, but are still 10-1 to one for relegation. Steve, could a bad show in here spell trouble for David Moyes? I mean, I thought... It- he might be under scrutiny at, at the start of the season. I wasn't sure about West Ham this season, um, but they are still 10 to 1 for relegation. So clearly there's a, there's a lot of teams underneath them, you know, Forest, Bournemouth, Wolves, Everton, Southampton, Leeds, etc. to name, but four there. But bottom of the current, uh, current form table, one point above the relegation zone. Their away form has been poor. I think David Moyes as the manager against the bigger sides, he's form he's, he's pretty poor isn't it against the big four the big six they're just he's, he's just never been able to get results at these these type of sides 
Um, in their defence, they've missed a lot of chances, I think. The XG of, of, of players like uh, Bowen have been massively down. I know he started slowly last season. He's done the same this season. Last six, they've lost to Arsenal. Um, Arsenal are unbeaten at home. This is This is a tough game. Yeah, Moore should have credit in the bank, really, because they've had two exceptional seasons. But we know this is football and we know how it works. There's always a manager under pressure who comes under serious pressure. And I think at the moment that is David Moyes. We're going to finish Arsenal-West Ham with some trivia. 19 players in the Premier League era have played for both West Ham and Arsenal. And six of those have won the Premier League. Who are they? Now, I can think of three off the top of my head. I'm going to open up the answers now. I can think of three off the top of my head. But what, what are you three saying? Nigel Winterburn. Nigel Winterburn, that was one of the ones I had. Uh, Freddie Youngberg. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have that one. Yeah, That's a good nice. one. Ian Wright. Ian Wright's one, yeah. Um, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Freddie Youngberg was all, I, was all I had, by the way. That's my golden goose gone. Now, one of the ones that popped into my head was, was Lewis Boamorta. For some Ooh. reason, remember that he played, played for West Ham and Arsenal. I'm pretty sure he was there when they won the league. And then the other two that are down on the list are Matt Upson and Jeremy Aliadier. Jeremy Aliadier, mainly, mainly from mainly from Dan, mainly from Dan, but it, it was a good effort. Aliadier was very Difficult good question. in Chapman, Chapman 0102. Yeah, good, yeah, good prospect, mm. hot prospect for the future, wasn't he, George? Yeah, too right. You, you always wanted to get him in. Yeah, good times. <laughs> Enjoy a bit of trivia, Ryder. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Let's look now at Manchester United against Nottingham Forest, which is Tuesday at eight o'clock. And George, I'll come to you because it's one of your favourite topics. The Cristiano Ronaldo fiasco is over. Probably the right outcome for all involved. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, it's devastating to see how um, Ronaldo's career has spiralled since deciding to go on a TV show and talk to a TV journalist uh, about footballing matters. You know, couldn't have... um, you know, devastated for him. Uh, it's United are, are well shot of him, in my view, both in a, on a personal level and a footballing level. Um, the decision to 
basically panic and prevent him from going to Manchester City. You know, just over a year ago, now looks like a, an unbelievably foolish one. Um, hopefully, in terms of Manchester United's recruitment, that is the the low point. Um, and from here on, and it does look like from here on in, um, you know, smart people, are, smarter people are making the decisions. Uh, even if he scored the goals last season, you know, he he's quite clearly not the player that he once was. Um, you know, he was once a a magnificent footballer who I'm sure as time heals, will we'll still go down in, in United folklore is one of their greatest ever, and rightly so. But let's not um, mistake that for what was a uh, just a nightmare 12 months. Um, you know, they. I don't really agree with the whole idea that you should never go back. But what I do agree with is don't go back and sign one of your greatest players when um, he's lost about 12 yards of pace and um, is, is, is not the player that he once was. So I'm sure... Ronaldo will will go and pick up a nice pay packet somewhere and probably play in a in a nice climate and Manchester United can progress without him. Yeah, and they are progressing Manchester United under For Eric sure. Ten Hag, although their tour of Spain didn't really go to plan with defeats by both Cadiz and Betis. I don't think we can read too much into this, but Lissandro Martinez has obviously been involved with Argentina in the World Cup. Someone who did have a good World Cup, Dan, was Harry Maguire. Is it just a case of the way England play suits more than the way Manchester United play? Oof, I would love, I would really love to to figure out to figure out the real answers to that. I mean, it's if you think of sort of enigmas in the Premier League. I mean, Harry Maguire's right up there, of course. I mean, he did miss their Carabao Cup win over Burnley on Wednesday um, through illness, we were told. And obviously, you know, for the start of the season, you know, Manchester United would hope that they would have him available. Obviously, Lissandro Martinez and Rafael Varane have gone all the way to the World Cup final, so I wouldn't expect them to be available for the game against Nottingham Forest. So, you know, Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire would probably hopefully be what uh, Eric Ten Hag would be looking to field. Otherwise, he may have to sort of go with a kind of left field solution uh, like he did against Burnley with, you know, potentially someone like Casemiro at centre-half. But Harry Maguire, yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's a strange one, really. And, you know, I feel that, you know, with England supporters, there would have been plenty who were upset to see him starting games but Gareth Southgate was utterly vindicated in the way that he played um, whether it's just the pe- that the pace of international football or the system that England play protects him better and he's asked to do less than he does for Manchester United because you know he, he looked secure and he looked fantastic really and sort of the way that he can sort of pass progressively with that left foot is, is actually quite a weapon at international level at club level it's difficult. I mean, I feel like one of the big things is that aesthetics are never going to help Harry Maguire. You know, frankly, he's he's a big lump. He's the biggest of lumps there is. And, you know, <laughs> when he does make a mistake, when he does when he does trip up, when he does get outpaced, you know, he is never going to look cool and calm and composed like a like a Virgil van Dijk, for example, to, to, pick, to pluck an example out of the air. So, you know, that they're, they're never going to be on his side. So his effectiveness is maybe not always going to be completely obvious but yeah you know the spotlight's going to be on him regardless as it always is and it's going to be interesting to see if he can sort of force his way back into being sort of one of the first choice picks for United when Martinez and Varane are back. Yeah I'm eating humble pie because I I didn't think he should have been in the squad purely based on the amount of football he played and the fact that a lot of the football he played hadn't been very good today. But he, he was one of England's best players. I'll take my hat off to him. I thought he was really, really good and handled the expectation and the pressure really well. Could it be a case that as Manchester United progress under Ten Hag, and I do, like I said, I do feel like they are progressing, it becomes easier for Harry Maguire because it, it was kind of just the, the face for the mess that was Manchester United over the last few years, really? Yeah, I think so, Dan. I, I, but I think... We will see a lot of him because the the fixtures. I mean, Man United will have so many fixtures over the next few months that it will be 
in and out the side. But that's not ideal for him, I suppose. He wants continuity. You know, he's, he's so relaxed with John Stones as a partnership and, and quite clearly that really suits him. And he's, and I can't think how mentally tough it's also been for him at, at, at club level, going from you know playing for England and being lauded as, as such a great player, and now all of a sudden he's had the highs, and now he's got to deal with the lows. And, and I just cannot imagine. And and to be in the in the papers every day for him and his family, mentally that that has got to be so tough. So I, I was really pleased for him that he he was one of the England's better players, and he's come back to Manchester United full of confidence. You would have thought and willing to challenge for his uh, his place in the side where he basically is not first choice but hopefully he's a fighter and he can get back into Eric uh, Ten Hag's ways but probably he's, uh, he's probably up against it on that front Yeah and they're obviously playing Forest this round of fixtures they've got four points from their last two games which makes the decision to stand by Steve Cooper look a clever one for now they're still 8-15 to 15 for relegation George Decent chance of, of getting something. Again, it's that, that unknown of coming back. Maybe it's a good time to play Manchester United. Jesse Lingard returning to his former club. Hasn't been on fire for Forrest thus far, but, but could come back and be up for it against the club he was at all his life. So there's a few interesting angles for this one. Yeah, interesting you say that about, about Lingard because he, um, you know, they played Blackburn away in the Carabao Cup in midweek and, and he had his best performance in a, in a Forest shirt by by miles. Uh, he, he got a goal and an assist. By all accounts, he was very lively throughout. And I, I think off the back of the World Cup break, going to a side in Blackburn who are currently fourth in the um in the in the championship table but or maybe even third but um you know by some accounts maybe in, in a bit of a false position but going there beating them 4-1 getting minutes under players belts it's, it's kind of the perfect way to ease back into um into life in you know back in football and for Lingard to to, to impress the way that he did uh, Brennan Johnson scoring twice um they played a, a very strong team and, and, and did it well I mean 20 they won the shot count 27 to 4 and won the game 4-1 you know it was a dominant performance so I think we, we might see Lingard certainly with a point to prove here and coming into it with a bit of a bit of a spring in his step, which would be a, a big boost for Forrest. But in terms of relegation, you know, at this point now, it's it's going to take a, a, a titanic effort from them in order to get to safety. You know, they already started to come back; they're up in 18th now. But when you're looking at, at Wolves, who are able to make a, a pretty significant signing um, in Cunha from um, Atleti. Um, shows the kind of spending power they're going to have in January to, to strengthen Southampton. He brought in Nathan Jones, so I think we'll have a big impact there. You know, the teams around them are also improving too, and, and three teams have to go down. And at the moment, I'd still have Forrest as being one of them. So those are the matches to keep an eye on as the Premier League returns. In full, the schedule reads Tottenham get started away at Brentford at 12.30, followed by four games at 3pm. That's Southampton against Brighton, Leicester v Newcastle, Fulham's visit to Crystal Palace and Everton are taking on Wolves. Then at 5.30, Liverpool head to Villa Park before Arsenal host West Ham at 8pm. Then on Tuesday, Chelsea play Bournemouth at 5.30 and Manchester United welcome Nottingham Forest at 8pm with Manchester City heading to Leeds on Wednesday, also in an 8pm kickoff. Steve, what do you make of Newcastle's chances of securing a top four finish? Big chance. So many things going for Newcastle. A club clearly on the up. Uh, one win in seven, wasn't it, at the start of the season when they beat a, that poor Nottingham Forest side, I think it was. They were 16-1 to one for the top four back then. 11 to 8 now. They're only single figures, 9 to 1 to finish in the top two. They have been 66 to 1. They've done this without some of their key players, of course. Isaac's injury at the moment, we don't know how long he's going to be out for. So Maximan, he's been in and out. There's always concerns about, about Wilson. I think the top two are away and gone quite clearly in, in Arsenal and Manchester City. But 
top four place, he's definitely up for grabs. Also pushing for the top four is Chelsea. George, you've been supportive of Chelsea's decision to hire Graham Potter. They've now added Christopher Vavell behind the scenes as technical director. He's previously head of scouting and recruitment at RB Leipzig. Kind of fits in with, with the model Chelsea are trying to go for at the moment. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, Vavell is someone who, um, he kind of, his pathway to, to where he is, resonates with the kind of idea of the players that they are trying to recruit where he I think came in at Hoffenheim as a video video analyst and then over the next four or five years worked his way up to being their their kind of main recruitment uh, man before getting poached by by RB uh, Salzburg we've seen that Vivelle in the press release after his um, appointment has said Chelsea are building the most exciting project in global football. And I'm kind of inclined to agree. It might not uh, align with some people's views who see who think this Chelsea will be the same old Chelsea. In my mind, whilst the off-pitch identity of a club is built within the club itself and its geography and its fan base, the on-pitch stuff is always built in the image of, of the owner. And Todd Bowley's received a lot, of, a lot of stick for appointing himself as sporting director in the interim. I think that's probably fair. But in terms of the, the moves that he is making off the field to... Uh, bulk out this recruitment team with some of the best talent around and doing so you know Joe Shields coming in from Southampton as well as another really interesting appointment I think they're being built off the pitch to be the best at recruiting young talent and in my mind Graham Potter is probably sitting in one of the most exciting management jobs in world football and Dan Arsenal have to contend without Gabriel Jesus for the foreseeable as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast from a Manchester City perspective who we've not spoken about in this podcast they'll be looking up now and thinking that's a real blow. That's a chance for us to, to make up some ground on Arsenal because he'll be a huge miss. Yeah, obviously the defeat to Brentford was a was a huge blow going into the uh, World Cup break, but they will feel confident that they have walked this road before and they've got the quality in abundance. They'll probably feel that they arguably, perhaps it's not even that sort of strong of an argument. They'll feel that they have a sort of stronger squad at their disposal than they did last season when they uh, when they won the Premier League title without sort of a, a recognised number nine. I mean, there's obviously a nice bit of irony in the fact that they had to sort of sacrifice Gabriel Jesus um, and on, also sacrifice uh, Ferran Torres to sort of uh, bring in you know, one of the, the probably the, the world's next great centre forward, who probably already is somewhere in the uh, in the top four or five anyway, in Erling Haaland and Gabriel Jesus is obviously obviously a, you know an excellent versatile forward who's a real sort of driving force for Arsenal and is now going to be missing. But yeah, I mean, I think I don't know why sort of the the boxing analogies always work great for for football. I mean, it's a bit like. Arsenal may be sort of ahead on points in these sort of early rounds, but, you know, City are the, the champions, the challengers, and now we're sort of getting into the real sort of middle of the middle of the battle now. And I'm sure they'll be keen to sort of really sort of start motoring and, and drag Arsenal into, into a bit of deep waters, really. Well, we are into the 12th round of this podcast to keep with the boxing analogies. And it is the part of the show where I hand over to that old bruiser, Steve Freeth, for the six score challenge. What a great intro, Dan. Thanks very much, Pell. Yeah, the six score challenge, the million pound is still up for grabs. Six correct scores, Premier League games. Right, George, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you with Everton, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, no nil. Yeah, well, I mean they're hardly free scoring the pair of them, are they? Okay, <laughs> nil-nil. Yeah. Uh Leicester v Newcastle. That's a more interesting game, isn't it? Yeah. One two. Okay. Dan Bardell, Villa, Liverpool. You know I like to come to you for the Villa ones. 2-1 uh, to Liverpool. Oh, we've got that on tape, have we? Okay, great stuff. <laughs> uh, Arsenal, West Ham. Arsenal, West Ham, I will say 
I'm going to go 1-0 to the Arsenal. Okay. Uh, Dan, I've got uh, Chelsea Bournemouth for you. Uh, going to go 2-0 to Chelsea. Okay. And Manchester United, Nottingham Forest. I am going to go 3-1 to Manchester United. Okay, Mr. Bardell, if you can put those on for us. I'm not going to crack a gag about coming around to yours with that big floppy check because you've moved house anyway. So, 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 I'll, so I'll get lost. Yeah, so there are consolation prizes for getting three, four and five correct. And of course, a million pound for one winner on the, uh, if you all get six correct. Yeah, free to play game. Good luck, lads. I've been to your house, Dave. Yours is the only house here I reckon that's big enough to fit that check in, in it from what I saw. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd stay away from the, the house gags if I were you. So that's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Thanks to the chaps for joining me today and thanks to you for listening. I'll be back with you on the Athletic Football Podcast on Tuesday before we return next Friday with the Preview Show. I hope everyone listening has an excellent Christmas. The Athletic. <laughs>